0: At the SMT, the this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Full Money. Yep, it's our very special, albeit as toxic regular, Sunday Mailbag Edition. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me is the aforementioned doc, Dr. Renee Mahati. How are you, mate? I am very good. How are you? Very good. That's impressive.
1: Well, sometimes I should be very good.
0: <laughs> Most of the times I'm okay. I'm just I'm just I'm just pleased to see you very good, mate. That's 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 makes me happy. I'm glad. Now we are here this Sunday. So, you do something very, very, very unusual, but very, very special. It's not Sunday. Well, no. But uh, I, just, let's tell them the truth. It's not Sunday. It's not Sunday. It's Thursday. Exactly. But well, but now it's Sunday. So but now it's Sunday. It. Yeah. So it is Sunday. Even though then it was Thursday, which is also now.
1: Okay. So now it's Sunday. Then it was Thursday. But
0: it's also still Thursday now. That's So confusing. Let's move. <laughs> let's move on to a question. Let's start. Start from the very beginning, mate. We got. Mate, I can I tell you, I have got so many pages of questions. So. I say this almost every week. We're going to try and keep them short as we can, get through as many as we can. See how we go. Let's start now. Question from David. Hi, Mr. President and Doc. I get to be president. That's kind of cool.
1: I'm not even vice president. I'm offended.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to care, mate, but I'm the president. I don't have to care about your feelings Yeah, you don't have to care about... I'm in charge. Um, (laughs) It's a dictatorship, goddammit. All right. David says, big fan of the podcast and with all the side stories, luckily. I have been listening religiously for several months now on my runs and daily commute. On one of the last episodes, Doc talked about how Australian innovative companies like Afterpay are going global to change the world and therefore growing significantly in size and, yep, share price. He pointed out how in Australia we don't have too many examples of innovative companies on a global scale like that. Most of our top 20 stocks are banks, mining companies, and other boring, in their quotes, businesses. On that note, I thought I'd ask you your opinion about another company that doesn't get as much coverage as others. Zero, in my opinion, is changing the accounting system forever. The share price has been going up non-stop. Is it too late to jump on board? I used to own some shares, but unfortunately I had to sell at $65, and then with a crying emoji, as I needed to get a car. I would love to hear any thoughts you might have. Cheers, David. Now, Zero made is the cloud accounting company that I think I said last week for Australian investors really kind of... Exemplified what software as a service, recurring revenues, um, customer acquisition cost. It, it was the it was the poster child, and almost the prototype, for at least for Australian investors, for a new generation of of stocks and a new generation of thinking around how we think about some of these higher growth, recurring revenue businesses. But as David says, the share price is. Going up and up and up and up and up. Um, he had he sold his shares at sixty five dollars, which frankly, David, you've done very well, mate. So don't, don't be too worried about it. But of course, David's looking at the current price, which is almost completely coincidentally exactly double at one hundred and thirty one dollars as we speak. Um, is it too late, mate? A zero too big to invest in now?
1: Um, look. <laughs> So um, you know, uh, first this is a tangent. Um, <laughs> you know, in the list of Australian companies that are innovative, I did not mention Zero because it's not Australian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mate, i told you before, it's Australasian. It's okay. an Australasian success story. <laughs> so, it's now only listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. So, I'm. Claiming it. Uh, I I is one feel of their bad
1: best. I feel bad for our Kiwi friends. <laughs> 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 that just because we have a larger exchange, we took their uh, tech success, their largest tech success, uh, and
0: claimed it ours. Sorry, guys. So that's
1: the reason why I have not mentioned zero in that list. Um, <laughs> there's a reason. Noble of you? Well like I you know.
0: claimed it. Farlap's an Australian horse and Pavlov's an Australian dessert, mate are we Zero is an Australian company, so it follows well, easily. Well,
1: we could also talk about a then, there right? It's an Australian company, but it's <laughs> not listed here. So I mean, uh, yeah, but well, you know, I was being kind to our Kiwi friends, but yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so that's the tension. Uh, to answer his questions, I wouldn't beat. Well, okay, that question really is how much did you need the car? Uh, <laughs> if you did not need the car or you're happy with your older car, then maybe keep in oh the mate, shares. So on, don't,
0: don't give him grief now. He's already uh, sold the car. So this is, this is
1: the second tangent. Oh, my, that's very accurate. <laughs> and, uh, well, this is all part for not giving me even the vice president <laughs> uh, designation, right? There so I have, go, <laughs> uh, I have to do something about that. I'm all about throwing wet blankets around. <laughs> so, so, okay, so David, to answer oh, your okay. question, uh, we have a zero as a buy. We hold it in our, <laughs> um, our Motley Fool Pro portfolio. It's a, it's a decently sized position. I wouldn't go into the f- full details. We did have uh, we did sell a portion of it a while back. Mm-hmm. Actually, at probably maybe around the same price as that you've sold it. But we just reduced or trimmed our position because our position was large. Mm-hmm. And we were worried about a few different things. Um, I think... For companies like Sierra, as long as they can execute and continue growing, I think even the current price is fine. Uh, whether or not it can continue growing at sort of the current pace, I mean, mm. I mean, can it continue growing? Uh, yes, I think it can continue growing. Can it continue growing at like at a set of twenty percent, 20 percent pace for a long time? And that's what I think software companies globally have like the good. Global software companies, the great software mm. companies, grow at even higher rates for a long time. Mm. But even the good software companies can grow at 20% rate for a long time. And and the magic really then happens is that you start getting scale, which I call this growth at scale. In fact, if I you know on Twitter I would say, mm. look mm. at this company, this is growth at scale. where at the scale of billions. You're growing at 20%. Mm. That's phenomenal for a couple of different reasons because your cost structure does not change substantially, but you're adding 20% over a billion. If you add 20% over a billion, that's like free <laughs> kick of 200 million, right. Um, right? And most of the 200 million can you know drop straight to the bottom line yeah that's the beat of the software business right so i think the main question here is can it do that sort of growth for say a decade Mm. if it can do that for a decade then today's price is actually going to look cheap in a decade right um but the price is high the multiple is pretty high uh multiple has actually expanded faster than like everything else The multiple has extended faster than the the Mm. revenue growth rate right uh would would possibly justify part of that, as I would like to say, is because of these guaranteed low rates, right? So as the rates remain guaranteed to be low, multiples go up because, well, the risk-free rate effectively is zero. Um, So that's something to bear in mind. Bear in mind if the risk-free rate changes, the multiples will compress. Um, so that's something again to keep in mind. So what I would say is that if you like the company willing to hold for a really long time, then in my opinion, it's okay to start a small position and mm. just hold on to it. Mm. And just remember that there's gonna be volatility um, on the way for various number of reasons mm. and you, you know, you start a position, maybe you get a better better entry point at a later point. Uh, maybe you don't, right? But, you know, starting a position may help you uh, keep an eye on it. So, I like the company. We hold it. We, you know, haven't trimmed it um, after our initial trimming that we've done a while back. Uh, as I said, it's the large, large, largest position. So, yeah, I'd say bye if you, if you feel like it.
0: There you go, David, straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, Doc, are you, one, one question for me. Um, a lot of the growth was predicated on US success, which seems to have been hard to come by. You talk about growth at scale. These are businesses that are big but in really big markets where there's plenty of TAM ahead, total addressable market. There's plenty of growth runway to use the vernacular. Has zero got enough left if it can't crack the US or does it need to justify the price? How do you think about the US business in the context of the current price?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. This is this is a, a the U.S. market is the world's largest market for many things, and cracking the U.S. market basically mm. can be a difference between you know uh, how many zeros you put on your market totally cap, right? In, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's something that people just need to realize. Um, it has not been successful in the US market to the extent one would have liked it to mm-hmm. be, largely because Intuit, its largest competitor, has been the punch in the US, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the way I think about it is, th- there's a couple of advantages to being an Australian company, or, or in this case, an Australasian company. <laughs> um, so, our similarity? So, like, you know, being part of the sort of, you know, the Commonwealth framework, and, you know, therefore being uh, having similar
0: laws and similar accounting rules, it helps you. Oh, that's in interesting. Right. Like the UK. Right, There are more similarities in the UK's taxation structure, if you will, mm. uh, with us than with, say, the, the US system, right? mm, because mm. they borrowed a lot of the UK
1: things here. That Interesting also applies to other places like Canada, even places like India, and, and so on. So there's there's a market opportunity
0: for, like if you think in that abstract form, there's a yeah, market opportunity yeah. for uh, zero. Um, huh, okay.
1: And it doesn't mean that there's not going to any competition, right? So Intuit is going to give strong competition to, um, to zero in places like Canada and, and the UK, right? Um, but I think zero has done well in the UK,
0: mm-hmm. right? It, it has got some nice features in other markets. Uh. Um, and there's opportunity
1: there for it there, right? <laughs> and it, it's not that it zero a in the US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a small share yeah. maybe you can grow it a little bit more. Okay. So sometimes so growing little bit in, in large, large market markets also okay some other markets also okay um the other thing to realize is i think this is the, my last point of, uh, we were trying to keep this short but uh, i think the other way to think of this this is a high level principle maybe it's useful so maybe it's you okay for the podcast but mm. s- for many things it's useful to think about the total TAM as like accounting is done by hand in so many different parts of the world that if most of that were to move to electronic form mm. that's going to be a huge market opportunity just like moving for, away from paper to digital signatures right so yeah, yeah. a small percentage of this large it's like yeah. essentially e-commerce right so I think there's a large opportunity it's a question of whether or not the management team is able to execute on that <laughs> which is why I said you need to watch how the how it's growing
0: very good thank you So, let's move on to a question from Tim Tim says hi Scott I have a question for your good self in the doc on your podcast It's regarding an investment strategy that I've formulated, that I'm sure must be flawed, but I've been having success with over the recent weeks. I'm hoping you can tell me where I'm being an idiot. Well, we'll try and be kind, Tim, if if you do think you're being an idiot, but maybe you're not. Let's find out. In a nutshell, it's just a strategy for buying stock during these volatile times. I have a portfolio of 25 stocks, four of which I absolutely adore, and carry the overwhelming weighting of my portfolio. Every pay cycle, I set money aside for the purchase of these stocks. My method is to set several limit orders per company at increasing quantities at descending price points. For example, if a company is currently trading for $100 a share, I might place an order for one share at $100, two shares at $99, three shares at $98, four shares at $97, etc. This way, I seem to be capturing the lowest points on the intraday market price at a higher volume. So it makes sense if the price is lower, he wants to buy more, so that that all makes sense so far. If the price goes up, obviously my orders don't go through and I just repeat the process until the, uh, the following day until the available funds are gone. The strategy wouldn't be very good if the market was experiencing smooth, steady inclines. But over the last several weeks, I seem to have been very successful. And as most of my stock is listed on the NYSE, I can sleep at night knowing I'm likely to purchase at a decent price point or not at all. Please share with me your thoughts with a smiley face. Love the show and keep up the great work, Tim he says, P.S. I thought it was important to mention the platform I use to buy shares charges zero brokerage. So it's not costing him a fortune, doctor, buy one, two or three shares at a time. So that's important in the in the consideration. Is Tim onto something or is he missing something, mate? What do you reckon?
1: You know, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, Markets tend to be volatile, right, over the mm-hmm. short term. Like, so, you know, prices go up, prices go down almost yep. every day. Yep. And if you're basically trying, what he's trying to do, it appears to me, is to find sort of the lowest price you can find on any given day. I guess the only thing I can say is, you know, the negative might be that if the, if the prices were to go up by, say, 10% because mm. say, there's an earnings report or something mm. and you missed out because you were trying to, you know, save a dollar. Um, and then you, you know, now you have to buy it at 10% higher. Mm. Even that is in my I mean, if you're willing to accept that, maybe that's not a big deal because I mean it's ten percent higher the next day or even twenty percent higher, but you're presumably buying a big company because you wanna hold it for like ten years. If you want to hold it for ten years and it's gonna be a multi bagger, like it's gonna go up tenfold, then you can buy it twenty percent higher and you'll still be fine. Yes, twenty percent cheaper would be okay. It would be would be better. So so maybe there's something here. I don't do it this way. <laughs> so um, like you know when I need to buy just, I just go and buy mm. and just buy it whatever price it is at that time I don't I don't try to you know but I well maybe that is something I, I don't know I wouldn't <laughs> criticize it yeah, uh, and if yeah, it's working yeah. for him uh, then it's working yeah. you know sometimes you need to just do things that are working for you um, yeah, that's the way ahead put it yeah
0: um, I will look I I wouldn't do it this way but I see no major issues with it because the limits you're setting are reasonably tight anyway and so it's not going to Here's the thing, mate. You might be saving yourself one or two percent on the purchase price, uh, but then if the trades don't execute and the shares go up, you might be costing yourself one or two percent because you got to buy the next day at a slightly higher price, and so on and so forth. Um, generally speaking, as you mentioned, mate, because the market goes up more than it goes down, uh, I would expect this strategy to probably actually cost you money rather than make you money in the long term because the the average in, yeah the average movement is up, right? So you know the chance of getting a slightly cheaper price today versus a slightly higher price today is probably you know it, it's 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 a 52 48 coin right um over time eventually it'll cost you a little bit more on average i think is probably likely you also you know while you might get you know let's say you're going you to know, buy shares and Woolies and Woolies fall five percent you get it's five percent cheaper but if the price goes up five percent you miss out on that and and again it's one of those stories where it probably depends on on which companies you happen to be buying and how they tend to move or happen to move. Right now, as you say, the last last couple of weeks has been a great time to do that. On the flip side, by the way, don't forget that, um, and you might have bought these stocks, which is fine. But remember that the likes of uh, you know Westfield went up forty percent in a day uh, because the COVID crisis was resolved, and and Kogan fell twenty percent a day. I own shares, for the record. Um, you know exactly the same news and so there are big times when big movements happen in both directions and maybe you get lucky maybe you don't Uh, look it feels to me really honestly mate that if you're happy to buy 100 I would just buy 100 and be done with it personally I think it's a whole lot less stress and hassle Um, if you get it for half a percent one percent cheaper so be it the chance of getting a really big discount on that basis the way you're doing it is probably slow over over time and as I said cross prices tend to rise Um, I would expect that probably is one of those one of those things Any more on that one, mate? I have nothing to add. Let's go to Jason's question. Jason says, Hi, Scott. Thoughts, please, on VGS versus VTS versus VEU. I saw you have VGS in your portfolio. I'm tossing up between VGS or VTS-VEU combo. I feel like either would be a nice long-term investment using dollar cost averaging over time. Do you have any thoughts? As always, not financial advice or anything. So let's go through them, mate. VGS is the Vanguard Australian, uh, sorry, it's World X Australia. So it's basically the rest of the world ETF. So basically you grab from that uh, ETF, America, Europe, UK, I think it might include Japan. So it's basically saying, look, if you want to get the rest of the world, but you've got Australia covered, the VGS Vanguard uh, VGS code is the all world X Australia using the MSCI International. Now VTS, he asks about is a Vanguard US total market shares index ETF. So you're basically just getting Australia for the, for the sake of the exercise. So, yeah, just so just the US. For the sake of the exercise, you're getting more of the US, more companies, and also obviously a more concentrated version. And then there's VEU, which he's talking about, which is basically a um, uh, all world X US shares. So we, there's some combinations here. One is all world X Australia, then there's all world X US and there's just US. And so he's saying, well, hang on, if I buy just US and all world X US, isn't that the same as buying VGS in the first place? So doc, <laughs> that's, that's, I'm trying to, it's hard to do in words, but that, that's basically what's going on here. Now for the record, and as as he mentioned, I own shares in the VGS ETF, the world X Australia. Uh, how would you do it? Would you buy VGS or would you buy the two combined all world X US plus US only?
1: Um, I I don't know. Like it depends on mm. so okay, at a high level, it appears to me that VGS, which is the All World Ex Australia right. yes. it's also All World X Australia ex developing markets. It's basically the developed market ex Australia, right? Correct, correct, correct. Um and here's the thing, right? I mean, if you are an ETF investor, maybe just simplicity is is all you want, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, if if you because it's, that's the whole point of the ETF, right, right, then right. why not just as 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 he has said, as you have done, yep. uh, just get the VGS thing and you're done with it, right? I mean, you're not going to be you don't not going to be marginally ahead or behind yeah. by you know doing a combo of VTS because VTS would be. VTS is the I guess the US one you said, right? Uh, VGS, or VTS? no VTS. VTS, VTS, VTS is, the is
0: the US total market.
1: The total market. So the US total market to some extent is covered by the VGS, anyways, mm-hmm. right? And the the Europe total market right, is right, to some right. extent covered by that. So I'll just take the v, v. In this case, if that's what you want to do, I'll just go with it, the, with the. All world X, all world developing X Australia, and I'm basically done. Um, I just don't see the need for making it more complicated beyond that. But there might be some other reason I'm missing. Yeah, I, mate, that's,
0: I think I think you know it kind of depends on what you're looking for. I actually quite like the suggestion in the sense that if you want a truly global, truly global. Diversified ETF, the combination of ex-US and US only add them together in whatever proportion you feel is appropriate, you're getting developing markets. So if you want developing markets that's important to you, then I think you want to go the suggestion that that we've had. Just because, you know, it's as Jason said, it it gives you more emerging markets exposure. So if you look just quickly at... So
1: which one is the emerging market? Is it the... (laughs)
0: So the 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 product that is the total market XUF XUS I should say yeah um, which is the VEU that just give you a sense that's got um, uh, uh, so it's it's basically twenty eight percent Pacific twenty seven percent emerging markets and thirty eight percent Europe so about a quarter of it is emerging markets now the VGS product which is the and again I know we're talking codes which I really hate but it's just easier in this case the international X Australia ETF is seventy one percent North America. 18% Europe, 10% Pacific, and no emerging. So it just kind of depends on how you want to split this up, right? Because you're buying world ex-Australia, it's massively dominated by North America, as you would expect. North America isn't just the US, but call it that for the sake of the exercise. Um, You're getting a bit of Pacific, and you're getting no emerging markets. Whereas the one that excludes the US, because you're taking the US out, and the US is, as we say, 70% of the rest of it, everything else gets a bit larger by comparison. And in particular, you're picking up those emerging markets exposures. Um, so that, that's that's kind of how it how it nets out um, in terms of the way the the maths works. It's hard to compare percentages because the US is such a large chunk of the world, ex Australia, that it just it just dominates and towards absolutely everything else that kind of comes with it. Um, I will say, for what it's worth, I would probably um, I, I own the VGS, so I'm, I'm I want to say biased, but that's the one I, I've liked. and I thought I should buy, so I did. If you really wanted emerging markets, then I think the combination of the two you mentioned, Jason, are probably worth going for. Doc, you?
1: Um, I I think, again, this is, yeah, I think you've covered it. So I have nothing really to add.
0: Beautiful. All right. Question from Dan. Howdy, Scott and Doc. Please use first name only. Brackets, Dan. There you go. We got it right. How about that? That I've been listening to you both since the start of the year and it's completely changed my mindset around investing. So for that alone, I can't thank you enough. Well, Dan, that's very kind, mate. We appreciate it. Hopefully for the better, of course. But um, that's what we're here for. We're here to try and help our listeners become better investors. So if we've helped you, mate, that's awesome. He says, I've recently I oh, started investing at 29. I'm now 35. But I received bad advice and bought dodgy miners, banks, and a few other companies that have only pushed further into the red. Sorry, mate. That's, um, that's a tough one. I'm a member of EO and SA and love what you do. I've set myself up with NASDAQ Asia, which is the – Asian Tigers ETF, Hack, which is the cybersecurity ETF, as my core, and a handful of each stocks from your services. However, moving forward, I'll be selling my previous losers and looking to deploy that capital. Can a portfolio be made up of a split of each service or am I best committing to one or the other? For example, investing in DOCS 10 high-conviction stocks and a mixer of ETFs or SA and a mixture of ETFs or maybe combine all three. I know you can't give personal advice. Thank you, Dan. We can't but would love some general thoughts around this. Many, many thanks, Dan. So there you go, mate. Dan, Dan's done the right thing, mate. He's done what we've asked for, for months. You know, I, I, I'm sure the rest of our listeners will follow his lead in due course because why wouldn't they? But uh, Dan's already done that. So Dan is an exemplar. Dan, you are the head of the class, mate, because you own both services. Doc, from Dan's perspective, and, and we can't answer for Dan, of course, but someone in that, in that position of ETFs plus two services from the Motley Fool, how could he think about, not should, but how could he think about combining... Either both, or choosing one or the other.
1: Okay, uh, I'm going to try to not sound flippant like <laughs> here, but 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 I, I uh, you know, I th- I think the simplest answer is to say do um, what makes you comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I like, you know, personally, mm-hmm. I like the idea of having this core that he has described uh, with those ETFs that gives you uh, a core of large cap growth, and then you're layering on top of that. Uh, mid cap to small cap uh, ASX growth, and 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 then you're sort of adjusting for the fact that you know the mid cap to small cap is going to have higher volatility, um, but that's okay because you've got you know to some of that has been compensated by having uh, these other ETFs, which are basically baskets, anyways, of mm. stocks or of companies put together. So I like that. In, in terms of like, you could do many things, right? You could, for example, there's like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, SA has, uh, so ShareAdvisor has one new idea that comes out um, every month. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's EO, which has one new idea again every month. There's BBNs, which is Best Buys now. You could, like, I mean, one strategy could be to just read each new recommendation that comes out mm-hmm. and see how you feel about it, Yep. right? And if you like it, you buy it. Yeah. And if you don't like it, you know, and the reason I said that like it is important is if you like it, you're likely to stick with it and sort of persevere through ups and downs. If you don't like it, you're going to be throwing the towel first. And, and over time, we are trying to, uh, in our services, over time, beat the market. You know, and we, we are providing new recommendations. Sometimes there are re-recommendations mm-hmm. as well. So I think that's one approach. Um, he's referring to this list of rankings. And, and, and I know the SA has something similar as well um, of conviction stocks. So we do them approximately every quarter, okay. uh, but but more often around earnings, right? <laughs> so they're updated around earnings. We do them every quarter because we have four C's for uh-huh. our smaller companies, but you know around earnings is when you can really do them with 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 more more, more information. Um, that's another way you could you could you know add like those ten companies and have like a you know nice uh, extreme opportunities base mm-hmm. on which mm-hmm. you're going to build upon. So there's so many ways to go about doing it. Um, I think you need to find a way that works for you, Mm. uh, makes you happy. I guess the other thing I can say is think about, I guess when you're adding these companies, think about what your objectives are, right? Are you looking for adding more growth? Mm. Are you looking for some, you know, dividend growth? Are you looking for, you know, access to certain industries? Are you looking for software? Are you looking for brands? Are you looking for, you know, uh, specific industries you know consumer discretionary you could also think about those sort of things so there are many many different ways to uh, to skin the cat here mm. but maybe just read the Rex.
0: nice man I like that a lot I think that's really smart we, we're big fans of make sure you have that conviction so that when times get tough you don't abandon ship too easily so I love that advice Doc um, Dan yeah Dan, I could agree with Doc I think what I would be inclined you know to to try and buy some from both but then let your investing style and comfort and own preferences kind of come out. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if in five years' time you are exclusively SA or exclusively EU or mostly, right? Because, uh, yeah, sorry, I think I said EU. Um, because you, you find you like Doc's growth strategy and you like those stocks and you're loving what's going on there or you're like, yeah, you know, I'd rather do the share advisor way and that's completely cool too. Um, or by the way, feel free to stick with other. If you if you wanted to and if you like both, one of the ways, ironically, completely opposite of what Doc said, but just as an additional alternative is just to say like, I'm going to split my portfolio in half. I'm going to put half my money in one, half my money in the other and just have two, you know, mentally, not sorry, even even literally you have the same portfolio, but just mentally kind of divide them in half and say, so, right, I'm going to put half my money in each one and just follow both strategies. And again, it's actually only by the ones you like, but that's a great way to start building a portfolio of, of the two. Um, I, I reckon you've probably already got a hunch, an inkling of how you want to do it. And that would make sense. I would, I would speculate, mate, that if you just keep keep following the services, you'll eventually gravitate to one or the other, and realise that that's the way you want to keep investing. So do that. I would say just be a little bit careful. If you're going to try and chop and change too much, you want to be careful of tax and brokerage costs, as always. So, um, but generally speaking, I think adding regularly you'll find that you'll just become more attracted to individual companies or styles or approaches or people. Um, you, you may find you just simply resonate better with Doc's language and style and approach and, and investing and you feel more comfortable there. And again, that's really, really important to have a trusted advisor if you're going to use one, one that you trust and like and know and are happy to follow. Question from Jeff, Doc. Hi, Scott and Doc. I hope this is the right forum. We get a question answered. Turns out it is, Jeff. Well done. I joined SA in January and EO in March. So this is not supposed to be a promotional section. (laughs) Listeners, my apologies. Just that these are the orders the question came in. So far, very happy. My portfolio is 40% up. Well done, Jeff. You certainly joined at the right time. Although I am sad to say my first individual stock was Webjet in December, which has cost me some money. I've been listening to the podcast for a few months and wanted to see your thoughts on a stock called Vulcan. There's been a lot of talk of avoiding miners and price takers But they seem well-placed from a freight and logistics side, with Tesla and others opening up nearby to have pricing advantage, plus their aim is a zero-emissions production through using geothermal heat from the brine they're extracting. Disclosure, I hold this stock and it has gone up 500% since I purchased. Full on. That's a decent old humble brag, Jeff. Well done, mate. 500% on Vulcan. Now, let me read you what Vulcan does, Doc. Vulcan Energy this is from uh, Comsec, but it's the usual uh, summary. Vulcan Energy Resources is a copper and zinc-focused exploration company which owns mineral exploration exploration projects located in the Trondelag, I'm sure I've screwed that up, region of Norway. Trondelag? Trondelag? Its tenement package, blah, 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 comprises a whole lot of these places, covers 9, 737 square kilometers in the Trondheim region of Norway um i'll go first on this one mate i'm you're not going to get me off the fence or not sorry you're not, you're not going to get me onto the fence on this one jeff um, i'm glad you've done really well mate congratulations and well done you can absolutely make some money on lotto ticket miners you've done very well there um i think all of those things are absolutely true potentially the question really i i think i don't think you can exclude the concept of the price taker i know you're kind of saying well i know you've talked about avoiding it but I think the but is is in my mind not sufficient to overcome the price taker reality. So are they well placed? Probably from front of logistics as you say. Maybe that saves them a couple of bucks. Um, maybe it makes them a little bit more likely to be used by a, by a, a customer. So yeah, there's, there's potential relative advantages there. The problem is those advantages will absolutely be dwarfed in both directions by the price of the commodity. If the commodity price doubles or halves, it doesn't matter how close or how far you are away. <laughs> you're either going to make a lot of money or you're going to lose a lot of money. And so um, I, I understand it. Also the zero emissions production, maybe again, that has some additional benefits. Someone's going to pay them a little bit more for copper and zinc that's produced, you know, um, at zero emissions. So again, it doesn't hurt I just you know the sheer size so Sandfire Resources we're recording this on Thursday as we've said Sandfire Resources was up 25% in two days because the copper price at a seven year high and can I tell you yes they announced a new mine in Botswana but but the market's not you know Mark's market's happy about that and that's great but the fact that the copper price is a seven year high is all that's going to matter for Sandfire's share price if it goes higher so does Sandfire if the copper price falls back to a seven year low or something similar it doesn't matter how good they are where they're located any of that stuff They simply won't be able to make enough money, mate. So look, well done on making 500%. If you feel like you have an edge and if you feel like those advantages are enough of an edge, then knock yourself out. Um, I would... uh, The the number of people have told me their miner is going to do well because of X. Unfortunately, it's a really, really, really long list and the Xs are always different. It's always different companies. And trust me when I say they haven't all done well. So, mate, you've done well. If you know the business and you're happy with it, then I'm not going to talk you out of it. Uh, I wouldn't be buying Vulcan anytime soon. I'm going to assume, Doc, your view is the same, but do you want to add anything?
1: I have nothing to add, actually, so (laughs) (laughs) you've answered everything.
0: All right. Question from Jerry. Jerry starts with, hi, Scott and Doc. Many years ago, I invested only in RFG, Retail Food Group, BCI, and TGA. And TGA is Thorne. I don't even know what BCI is, Doc. Do you know what BCI is? I was
1: just going to quickly check that out because I had no idea (laughs) what BCI is. BCI
0: Minerals is the name of the company. It's currently selling for $0.25 a share. Uh, with the market up 150 bucks, so it's not $150 million, sorry. It's not tiny, but it's not, not huge. All right. So that's what you invested in, Jerry. I took my eye off the ball, he says, and they are now worth very little compared to the buy price. And he has dole in brackets. I can't do a Homer Simpson, but just <coughs> hear, hear that with a Homer Simpson voice. My question, is it better to sell the shares and cut my losses today or, given they've already tanked to nothing, just hold them in the event that something may happen in the future? You'll be pleased to know I'm now a member of Share and Extreme Opportunities. It's a theme here, Doc. And paying much more attention to my diversified holdings thanks to your team's great guidance. Thanks, Jerry. All right, Doc. Bought some stocks years ago. Lost a lot of money. Do you wait and just see if they can possibly bounce back or do you take your money and run?
1: Well, you just... I think if you have no conviction those, those companies, what you do is you sell them and you put that money to work in another company that you have conviction on. Hmm. Because, I mean... You know hope is not a good strategy investment right so it's this is, if it's hope that it's going to turn around and go up uh it's not not a good idea why not just invest in something that you think has a higher probability of going up and doing well so that's what i would say mm-hmm. but again i don't know much about those companies so yeah. i can't really offer any views on
0: those companies yeah i look i own a very small portion of RFG. I bought them at seven. I bought it at fourteen cents. Actually, I think I, I think I'm, still, <laughs> I'm actually losing my on that one too. So maybe I haven't learned much. Let me let me see what the share price is in that one, just to just to run my, my own nose in it for a second. This, this was when they when they fell after the uh, yeah the eight point nine cents. There you go. I'm down by a bit. Um, wh- when they dropped uh, after all the franchise stuff and the recapitalization, I figured they're either worth more or they're going to go broke. Thus far, neither has happened. They're just worth less. So <laughs> that shows what I know playing with specy uh, specy franchises. Anyway, um, so I own shares just for the record. Look, Jerry, it's so tempting. So they call it the endowment effect. Um, the fact you own something makes you think differently about it. The question I'd ask you is if if, if I may, if I sold your portfolio for you tomorrow and gave you the money back, would you go and buy those three companies? I'm tipping you wouldn't. And if you wouldn't, then you should think about holding them in exactly the same way because as Doc says, you've got the opportunity. Let's say you got a thousand bucks worth of those shares left. You put that thousand dollars anywhere you want. Now, you could put it in the worst companies you can think of just in case they went up. <laughs> and I won't say these are the worst companies, but you know what I mean. Or you can say, well, you know what? I think my best chance of investing $1,000 is in X. Woolies, BHP, CBA. Let's pick some, some blue chip names. None of those recommendations for the record, but it just saves me um, hypothetically talking about stuff we do own and having to have that conversation. Um, so, you know, if you, think, if you think those companies are going to do better, why would you, why would you keep your money in something that wasn't going to do as well? And again, the chance something might happen, there's 2,000 companies in the ASX, mate, and all of them, might have something good happen to them in the next twelve months, and so you could buy them all. Um, but again, that wouldn't be wouldn't be the sort of approach we'd recommend either. So I get the sense it's that's pure endowment effect, right? What's happening is your psychological biases are running amok It's the devil on the shoulder stuff, right? Well, don't if something happens now, you'll be needed if you sell them. Don't sell them just in case, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I'll oh, hang on. Um, and I get it, mate. But again, if you didn't own them, uh, you would not be buying them just in case something happened. I think that's probably the best way to govern your decision making. <music> Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Doc, question from Craig. Hi, Scott and Doc. I recently joined TikTok. Oh, I see what's coming here. <laughs> I had heard it had amazing artificial intelligence to keep users engaged. No, I think that's just the dancing and the music. Uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to see uh, where the AI would take me. I like this. Okay. I was a little shocked by what the AI thought I liked. But the three hours just disappeared. I can see how it can be so addictive. I only wish I could dance, Craig says. That wasn't me, that's Craig, although I also wish I could dance. When it comes to the world of investing, I was thinking if a company can establish a lead with AI, it could be very hard for the competition to catch up. For example, Google in search. So I've got a question for the podcast. For you two wise gentlemen, what company is the most impressive in using AI to extend its lead over the competition? It's a cool question. I've never had that question before. Love the podcast full on. P.S., in the interest of research, would you two wise gentlemen be interested in downloading the TikTok app and spending one hour on it and reporting back on your thoughts? Well, that's the P.S. second, Doc. But I love Craig's question. I've never even really, you know, we have talked about AI and other other technological advances, but I've never really considered the question of which company is the most impressive in using its AI to extend the lead over its competition? Do you have an answer to that, Doc? Is there anything or a couple of names, some thoughts?
1: Oh, that's a brilliant question, uh, and the answer to the second part, the TikTok app part, <laughs> I'll answer that right away. I am not downloading to watch, you know, funny cat videos because I know what's going to exactly happen. I'm going to be spending three hours, and then three hours going to be gone. My my Did daughter actually goes on TikTok, and okay. I know what happens to that. The time just disappears. I just like, get off the thing. You know what so, they say,
0: Craig? It's better to learn from someone else's mistakes than your own. I think Doc's, yeah. Doc's doing so, that.
1: So TikTok, the answer to that one is no. Sorry, I'm not going to do that, Craig. Uh, uh, with respect to the question, I think it's a great question. Uh, yeah. I haven't actually thought about it that way. The mm. short answer to that is that I think different companies are going to make hay of AI in different ways because yeah. AI, as a subject, is pretty, its applications are pretty broad, uh, right? And, and you know, you might not believe this, but AI has been used for a long time, right? Mm. It's not that it hasn't been used; it's just people are talking more about it. So, if you think of the I- iPhone keypad that uses AI, it has used AI uh, from its very early days. Mm-hmm. right? So so I think there's a widespread application of AI, and it diff- and depends on the type of application, different companies are likely to do wins. I wouldn't say any single company is likely to benefit a lot more from AI than the others. Um, you know, I know that's a disappointing answer, but I think you know the usual names, the big tech, um, they all have very advanced AI work going on. A lot of on-device AI is happening, so yeah. Uh, again, I would I would just watch out for various players and not focus on mm. any one specific player saying, "Oh, that's the AI winner, and everybody else is not." I think that, that'll be my answer. It's a disappointing answer, I know,
0: but. I I think it's a, good, it's a great question, Craig. The answer is probably almost certainly going to be wrong because to Doc's point, we don't always see the AI. So it's hard to know exactly. It's You seem to go straight for the ones that are obviously AI algorithmic businesses. And I guess you mentioned TikTok. I'd be thinking Facebooks, Twitters, Pinterest, Instagrams. like Those Those are the most obvious ones, right? Google search, same thing. The ones that are using the power of, of large data to actually fundamentally drive their business model. And so that's the, they're the obvious answers. Um I would say Facebook has done a spectacular job of keeping us engaged. Um, I Actually, Doc has issues with, with Facebook on privacy. And I think it's fair to say, Doc. I would not give you any secrets you mentioned that before. I have I have social issues, ethical issues with these guys. And basically, by the way, um, normal media on the echo chamber impact that it's actually having on our society, I think the, the, the idea of feeding you only what you self-selected to see makes us – more ignorant, less accepting, less open. We have less experience with people unlike ourselves or issues unlike our own. Different. Um, we don't see the same media. That the you know the the election stuff. I, I've I've got a group of friends, and my group of friends have certain uh, political and other leanings and preferences, and I see those in my in my feed, right. Um, but I also see the things that, that my friends share that i never otherwise see. And that's because of the way they've selected their media, I've selected my media. Um, I think that's really, really, really corrosive for democracy and for, for social well-being for what it's worth. So I have my issues with that, but it's hard to argue that just purely commercially, Facebook has done a spectacular job of that. Um, TikTok, similarly, from the sound of it, anything you can do to keep people's attention, keep them you know, in in your ecosystem, doing what you want them to do. Even the, you know, the Fin reviewer saying, you know, uh, set up your newsfeed, tell us what you're interested in, and we'll show you just that stuff. And I've, I've avoided doing it. I just don't want to. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to just see the stuff that I'm now interested in. I mean, if I did that 15 years ago, I can't imagine how much stuff I would miss today, right? By saying, as a, as a, you know, X year old, I wanted to see, I want to see this stuff. And it's like, you know what? I just think it's a really, really horrible thing to do. Anyway, that's how they make their money. And I, I guess at one level, I can't blame them. Although, I, you know, some, some larger social conscience would be nice. And, and doc's privacy stuff, by the way, on top of that, it's also worth considering. So I'm not saying either or. Um, so yeah, Google obviously has, I think, probably made more money out of it. Facebook, a very close second in terms of just simply using AI for really good purposes. But um, again, you know, it, it's every every app maker, every operating system maker. Um, this is this is you know, it's, it's one hundred and one stuff. Um, so they're they're most obvious examples. They're the ones that probably give you as an answer. But I'm I'm kind of. I'm not going to give that as an answer. I'm going to avoid the answer because the answer is we don't know. Um, you know, which is which is using AI to extend the lead of the competition? Well, uh, you know, so, so entrenched, as Doc's already said, um, it's so deep in some of this stuff that it's really hard to know the actual answer for that. And I think investing-wise, it's difficult. I will say, I mean, again, the problem with AI, the problem again with this this stuff is and, and your your TikTok experience is from, from a machine learning AI perspective and frankly from a purely commercial perspective, um, a company that can continually get more people spend more time <laughs> on a sequential basis, consuming more content is obviously getting something right. And as an as an investor, as a Mercury as investor, use the word Doc used before. Um, there's probably you know no better way to look for great ideas than than businesses that have managed to willingly have their users make themselves captive to, to the ecosystem that you've provided. So um, I don't know. I don't have a better answer than that, Doc. Do you?
1: Yeah, you know you've tickled my mind here okay. uh, in a in a very interesting way because i was thinking while you were speaking um when we think about ai now what we are often referring to is all those problems that ai has has introduced in yeah, our society yeah, right yeah. um you know, the, the most the, obvious
0: ones absolutely yeah the, the,
1: but you know but these are dissemination challenges yeah. that we have got in terms of what people see yeah what people hear on the other hand, if I, I was just the other thing I was thinking about is the way AI is... The most obvious monetization mm-hmm. of AI right now is basically recommendation systems. Yes. Right? At a very yes. high level, yes. there's just recommendation systems. I'm yep. going to recommend to you. That's the mm-hmm. website you mm-hmm. need to see. Mm-hmm. That's the content you need to see. Yep. If I think about... Uh, I was just trying to think. This is the probably the most rudimentary form of AI right, usage right. that we actually see today, right? right? And the reason we don't know how AI is going to be used <laughs> in the future is we're still in a very, you know, we are, like uh, we're doing yeah, the simple right. things, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, going to collect yeah. a bunch of data, I'm going to look at this, yeah. do some collaborative filtering, you know, Scott's friends likes this, you know, this is a bunch of people that Scott talks to, so therefore mm-hmm. we can shove him more of that content, right? Mm-hmm. that's the sort of stuff that's happening. Um, what we don't know is what other things can be automated, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think the whole Promise of AI would be if you can automate. Uh, so, you, you use it, there was this there was this company here, but you know, but maybe a good example. If you mm-hmm. could automate home building, for example, <laughs> right? That's a different ball game. Yeah, right. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, if we yeah. could automate a bunch of other things that we yeah, do yeah, in our yeah. life, um, those are big, big changes. Right. Mm-hmm. And right mm-hmm. now, we're just really scratching the surface in mm-hmm. many different ways. So, yeah, uh, that's just another way of thinking about it.
0: Fascinating. Isn't it? I think that's a, I think it's a really, really important consideration. Scale also matters, right? I think. I think, you know, actually, recommendation engine. Uh, the you, you've mentioned a lot before. Um, you know, the ability of machines to take lots of data and continually improve themselves, and I think there's some opportunity potentially. For exponential gain, which is is most obvious, and again, that, that's why I mentioned I'm not going to give it a specific answer because the most obvious ones are the ones we come up with because they're obvious. But if you got a if you got a world population of seven billion people, that's a lot of potential customers if you run a good social network or a good news site. So interesting, uh, Craig. I will, I won't say hard no on downloading TikTok, but uh, not yet, mate. Not yet. Good try though. Not happening. <laughs> Question from Scott. Hi, Scott. Knock. I know you've been you've addressed trying to predict entering and exiting of the index and it not being worth the hassle there's historically been volatility behind companies being added to the index, and he's just basically curious as to what impact do you think being added to the index will have on the market, and is there anything an investor should be mindful of? Now, I think we've talked about this a bit in the past, mate. The ability of, or the, sorry, the, the the idea of companies being added to an index, in theory, in financial theory, should make absolutely zero difference to a share price. And the other thing too is, by the way, I'll, I guess I'll half answer this. Generally speaking, if you already know what's going to happen, then it's already in the share price. And if you don't know what's going to happen, there's no point looking back and going, oh, that was added to the index or removed from the index. It jumped or it fell. I should do something about that because by the time you know about it, the data's kind of in. So it's a a difficult one. I've, I've generally speaking avoided trying to game this stuff because you just never know if, when, etc. it's going to happen. And again, by the time it does, shares don't, you don't get two weeks to go, oh, that's going to happen. I'll buy some, you know, in the next two weeks while no one else does. Um, this is one of those events that, you know, markets aren't that efficient that often, but they are mostly efficient most of the time. And, this is one of those situations where once once it's, I mean, it doesn't get much more public than a specific announcement saying, our company is being added to an index. Um, the market can absorb that and, and put that into pricing really, really quickly. So, I mean, I have my issues. I think, I think investors are largely a bit silly for making those prices move. But if they're going to, I just don't think the retail investor has a chance to get in front of it.
1: Yeah, I I think I largely agree with that. You know, I don't know how esoteric you want to get. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I, I don't know. A, let's find out. Uh, okay, so let's get a bit esoteric, right? This is a, This is a, actually an interesting topic to think about, even as a group. And we have actually not chatted this about this as a group. So I'm going to come up with all of this explanation, and hopefully, it's going to make some sense. Um, so let's say I'm going to add a, a large company to the ASX 200. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. I say that the addition is going to hap at, happen at a certain day. I make the announcement. Yep. What that basically means is that the, when the addition is happening at a certain day, it basically means that on that particular day, a bunch of ETF mm. providers and mm. managers of the ETF need to buy the stock, yep. a particular company. Yep. They need to buy a certain percentage of that shares. Yep. Assuming that there's enough liquidity, that should be all okay, mm-hmm. right? Now, yeah. um, here's where it gets interesting. What <laughs> if... If you know this information, this information is known in public, mm. ahead of time, a mm. bunch of people could decide, well, I'm going to front run that trade and I'm going to buy X billion dollars worth of, say, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shares. Right? Yep. So let's assume, yep. you, could, you know, right, let's assume, that uh, you know, the issue is what you don't you definitely know that as long as people are buying the shares are going to go up Mm -hmm. what you don't know is what's going to happen when the index when the index buyers because if you're buying with the anticipation that you're going to hand over the shares to somebody else and everybody's buying because of that maybe there's (laughs) overbuying happening and therefore when the index buyers are going to come and you're trying to sell well then the price is going to drop usually usually what happens is when the index when something big is added to the index like a large company Mm -hmm. shares run up because in anticipation there these traders who have bought yeah. things uh, ahead of time. Yeah. And then the shares drop yeah. um, because people have bought more than they should have bought to mm-hmm. hand it over mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. other party, right? Because it's at, 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 in, in the short term, share prices are all about equilibrium, right? Of demand versus supply. It's like yes, any yes, other yes. things. It's, it's 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 like when we have certain recommendations that go out, right? If it's yes. illiquid, um, right, right. Uh, then basically what it means, yeah. there's yeah. an imbalance, there's a large yeah. amount of people trying to buy, yep. fewer people willing to sell, price yep. has to go up to, meet the demand right that's what happens that's a very typical action as Mm -hmm. to why uh it happens all the time whenever you know a mega cap or a large cap or whatever is added you would see in fact we see that you know when the when companies move from asx 300 to the asx 200 Mm -hmm. there's movement in fact when people know active fund managers know are almost certain Mm -hmm. that it's going to be added to the asx 200 Mm -hmm. the share price goes up this Mm -hmm. is a reality it does happen um the issue is that for the long-term investor, it probably doesn't matter <laughs> because of the long-term price movement shouldn't be impacted. Long-term, this all should w- wipe out. Yeah. However, the market is not full of just long-term investors. Yeah. It's actually full of short-term investors who yeah. are, you know, machine yeah. traders, day traders. They, they. So, I mean, if you can get ahead in the trade, well, the, where, uh, where I think about this is some. If somebody wants to do this, mm-hmm. if they have a good end, understanding of the long-term value, and they can be sh- relatively sure that they're you know buying at a good price or an under price you know basically buying at a fair price or a below fair price you can make the trade, mm. but mm. and then, but then, you. Why are you making this trade? Are you making this trade to hand it over <laughs> exactly? Because yeah, now yeah. you can, yeah, yeah. Or is it that you actually wanted to buy it for the long term, right? Mm. But if you're a day trader, mm. or or you're you know a short term trader, then maybe mm. that's what you do, um, and that then and that can work out. Realize that you know the price moves up, then price mm. also moves down. Uh, how much it moves up and how much it moves down is unknown. Um, there's in in Alad. This is this is where it gets esoteric. In the um, in large markets where there's options at play, mm-hmm. something esoteric actually happens, mm-hmm. and and that's because people buy calls. So when you buy calls, you have the right to buy a share at a particular price, right? Mm. Now. This can be a very this this might appear like it's it's a French thing, but it, it can <laughs> it's like one of those things where all you need is a small volume to push things up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So
0: if people of bu- the inherent leverage in options.
1: Because of the inherent leverage in options, right? So if, if a bunch of people buy calls and the share price goes up, now on the other side of the call somebody has sold the call to you, mm-hmm. right? So they're effectively short the shares, they have to now cover. Mm-hmm. So they buy the shares. Mm-hmm. Because the share price goes up, other people again <laughs> buy calls, <laughs> and now again the market maker has to make up. It's this is called basically called delta hedging, um, and delta hedging can have now delta hedging can have this positive feedback loop which pushes things up.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But delta hedging unwinding can also have the same thing effect of pushing things down.
0: Right. Okay. Right? Yeah, so yeah.
1: because again people might start shorting at certain point, right? So so there are like there are these weird effects that happen in the market. Sometimes it's it's accentuated for various reasons. It's good, it's a thing that it's interesting to know. Um, mm-hmm. I always take the viewpoint that unless you're a machine and you have very sophisticated algorithms, you are on balance on average over the long term, you're not gonna come out ahead, <laughs> but I've been told by other people that you can, <laughs> but I haven't tried it, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, so when I don't know, I say I don't know, but you know I, know, I understand the mechanics of what happens, but I don't know how one can profit from it.
0: I'm not going to add much more to that. Um, I will say just I want to reinforce your point, Doc. That if if the market is working reasonably efficiently, the price before the addition, the price after the addition, should be roughly the same in terms of the fair value of a company. So price is different, but assuming the market's efficient, then the price is the fair value. But let's 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 take that to one side for a second. If if a stock's worth 100 bucks now, and it goes to 110 in a month's time for an imbalance of demand and supply, as Doc says, over the length of time, it should go back to 100 bucks because if the sock's only worth 100. The short term is the is the uh, um, aberration, not the long term. Now, can you make some money speculating on it? I, I guess maybe if you're kind of that way inclined. It's a tough way to make a quid, isn't it, mate? Like, a, <laughs> there's just there's just better ways to. Yeah, you've got to be right about the company. You've got to be right that it gets added. You've got to be right that the market gets excited about it, and then you've got to try and get out before everything goes badly, um, or at least back to some sort of normal. I mean, it's just I don't know. Each to their own, mate. I, this I I got more important things and more interesting things to do with my time. Uh, I've got, a, got a, a, a not so much a question I just thought this was kind of fun I got a message from Binger on Instagram you know I love an Instagram story doc an Instagram I,
1: question I, I, I know you, you you spend a lot of time on Instagram
0: <laughs> you know what I actually really don't I haven't been there for ages but I go there to get the actually I don't have that anymore so I'll
1: you are the, you're, you're the reason why Mark Zuckerberg is a multi-billionaire <laughs> or hundreds of dollars of billionaires, whatever am, you
0: want to call it. Like, I'm not or a or spower or any spower You're just helping I'm a out
1: man. Mark Zuckerberg get richer and richer <laughs> and richer. <laughs> if anybody has problems with Mark Zuckerberg getting rich, talk to Scott.
0: There you go. Uh, so begin just sent me, sent, oh, sent us, but send me a, a message, and all it is is a picture of his. It must be, I don't know what app sent him this thing. Probably from one of his um, podcasts. Uh, one of the podcast programs he uses. And it's a picture of our podcast logo. And underneath it, he's been sent something which seems to be, be uh, pre-populated, which says, you listen to 129 episodes for a total of 6,339 minutes. Small talk doesn't stand a chance. Now, I don't know what absent that, um, but that was his year listening to Motley for Money. He just sent me a message saying, turns out I listened a lot this year. Thanks for your efforts in the podcast. And I figure if someone wants to spend 6,400 minutes listening to the podcast, like the least we can do is give them a shout out and say thanks for listening. So being a thank you for listening, mate. Really, really appreciate it. So we got any more to add on that one? Instagram I related?
1: Have, uh, I've just said that everybody should talk to you about Instagram <laughs> and Zuckerberg. I have nothing to do with those things.
0: All right. Jacob says, hi, Scott and Doc. Great show. Perfect balance between applied company and market analysis and friendly banter. Thank you, mate. We do our best. My question... It's on the side alley of the stock market, but you've been covering it a bit lately. And it's in regard to loans and the race to the bottom for rates and a worldwide competitive dollar. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how the banking sector crunches the numbers on loan applications. There don't seem to be much information on how these numbers are run, and the whole process is carried out behind closed doors. That's true. And here's the issue. He said, my issues with the current system have come from previous rejections which I feel are outdated, especially in the current climate, where more and more employment is moving from permanent to casual or contract. More uncertainty, more redundancies, more flexibility. It probably shows it best if I give you a brief summary. And here we go. He says, dual income, my partner and myself. One's a tax consultant, one's an engineer, one's permanent and one a full-time contractor. Our deposit was more than 25%. Our current net assets are greater than the loan value we applied for. No current debt. I provided tax returns from previous five years BAS and company statements from the last 12 months and then he says this was rejected from one of the big four based on not being a contractor for more than two years how he asks can there be all this free almost money being pumped out there why can't their model apply factors or ratios to income assets etc and do you think it's be a bad thing being on the other side of the coin where most government policies are aimed at protecting those already in debt Full on that's a big question, mate, but it's kind of an important one, right? It's a situation where Jacob seems to have a very healthy financial circumstance, but the arbitrary rules being applied by one of the big four, at least, has said, no, that's not good enough. The fact you've got more assets than the, the cash you want, you've got 25% of the of the loan value. One of you is actually full-time. We're still not going to give you the cash. And as he says, there's so much free money out there. How can we not get at least some of it given we're in pretty good financial health? It's it's." It's part statement, part question, mate. But I guess I'll just ask you, Do you got a response or reaction to that?
1: Oh, I have lots of reactions to these sort of things. Um, oh
0: dear. Jacob. Um, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob, Dude. for the
1: question. The <laughs> uh, rest of the podcast is going to be devoted to answering Jacob's questions. Uh, There'll be a special to, episode to later. To the ch- we- enough, uh, <laughs> Scott is going to like, you know, hide under the table now. Um, so, you know, I, I, this is exactly, so uh, I've tried this. I've told a bank, here, look at my stock portfolio. Mm-hmm. And they said, we don't care. Mm. So the thing with banks is banks don't look at assets. And the way we think about assets, I think they they basically want to look at an income stream because they almost assume that you're not going to cash in the asset or the (laughs) asset can disappear or the asset is not what you think it is or it just is not worth the paper and what it is written. I think that's part of the… The issue with how these things are evaluated, right? I mean, I think w- when they're saying they're rejecting, based on the fact that you've been only contract for two years, basically they're saying oh, your mm-hmm. income mm-hmm. has no stability. Is the assumption that they're making, yeah, right? Yeah. And the and the only thing I think the the banks seem to care, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is how stable that income is, and whether or not it's going to cover the mortgage mm-hmm. and it's going to pay for it right over time. Um, so, yeah, again. <laughs> it becomes a problem because um right, right. Uh, because a lot of the economy works that way a lot mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. are contracting a lot of people have their own businesses a lot of people mm-hmm. change their businesses and therefore you know so it's it's a complicated problem for which i don't have an answer for uh in general um i sympathize with the situation i've seen that happen uh, many times and uh, can I recently got a home loan and the num- number of forms i had to <laughs> upload uh, because, you know, have a little bit of a complex yeah. structure. I was just amazed. Uh, you know, right, I almost right. felt like, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it is, it is. but but on the other hand, one could say that that is partly because it is very hard to get all the data in one place, right? Mm-hmm. This is a data acquisition problem more than anything else. And therefore, it appears painful. Or in other words, it's a very difficult situation for a bank to actually structurally see yeah. income flow yeah. and um, and assets easily right so maybe that's the problem to be mm. um, uh, uh, to be solved to the and, point. yeah and, and then finally I know, property should not be that expensive yeah. if property was half the price <laughs> no, there would be no problem uh anywhere <laughs> and and you know Australia would be a much more competitive place if um, you know the average price of a house was was a, a medium house price was half a million dollars. Who
0: could possibly have guessed we ended up in that position? Well, talking about house prices, I
1: think fundamentally that is the most <laughs> the that's the biggest. Nobody would have this price Do I, you know? Uh, I have 25% deposit, you know, 25% deposit might have actually paid for the entire it, house. It's, it's a
0: deposit if the house costs the house, exactly. Oh, if the house, you know,
1: well, it's just you know, like you know, if you go to a place like Detroit, <laughs> uh, you could for three hundred thousand oh, yeah. dollars, you'll buy an acre, yeah. Um, so there's no fundamental reason uh, to prop <laughs> the House Pride <laughs> Pyramid to, yeah, well, that's my final comment. That's I'm, it. Well, that's I'm a short one.
0: I'm shocked, Doc. I'm shocked. Uh, no, I think I think it's also a fair point, by the way. It's, uh, look, uh, the, the, here's, the, I yeah, look, I, I don't disagree with anything, Doc says, just for the sake of adding some thoughts. Um, I think when it comes to your loan, Jacob, it, it, the, the cost of the money, unfortunately, is not as, um, for the banks, that is, i.e. free money, is not as important to them as the, the, their ability to understand whether or not you're likely to pay it back. And I think that's... The, the challenge is the net interest margins haven't changed much. In fact, if anything, they've actually compressed. And so like a, a, an honest answer, which is probably not what you want to hear, or hopefully at least appreciate the honesty, is that if you simply have the same margin, it doesn't really matter what your costs and, and, and sales prices are, right? Like if you're, if you're selling, I don't know, widgets, donuts, and instead of making it at 50 cents and selling it for a dollar... You make you get it free and sell it fifty cents. Your margin's still the same. Now that why does that matter? That matters because default rates moving still impact the banks in the same ways. And so you you know unless they were to make more margin on those loans, then they can't afford to take more risk. Now you might be a good risk. So I'm not again. I'm not saying you're not a good risk. I'm just simply saying from a process perspective, the free part of the money or the you know the super cheap money actually doesn't help you or them because they're passing that saving on to the rest of their customers. Um, so that, that's unfortunately not something we can kind of put into the mix and say they should be more more accommodative because debt is cheaper. Maybe they should, by the way, but what it's happened, in, and this is supply and demand. Again, we've talked about a couple of times this program. Um, the supply and demand just simply meant the price would come down. If banks had kept their rates high and got lower costing and then used that to fund riskier loans, that's certainly another way they could do it. But the the, the the inherent competition, supply and demand, again, and the general competition of the banks in the sector mean that it's simply just they're taking the same risks and passing that on. So I'm sorry you're not getting the money. It seems to me a very reasonable thing. You should get that debt. Uh, but I can understand, uh, again, not justify it, but I understand why they kind of looked at it and go, well, our standards have to be the same because our costs and you know, our margins are the same. Therefore, we have to make those decisions. In terms of the, the, the government policies aiming at protecting those already in debt, I um, I think that's true to some degree. Um, the protection question is an easy one, an uh, uh, interesting one, how that how it gets dealt with. I think it's very reasonable to see a government that is at a policy level tr- trying to make sure we don't have a house price crash. Now, that said, I think we can talk about house prices directly, as Doc says. The, the the reality though would be a house price crash would plunges into a deep and long recession because Australians consider rightly or wrongly and Doc would say wrongly, and that's probably not unreasonable. Very um, wrongly. The the wealth, you know, the wealth in there. I mean, I mean, can you imagine if, if house prices halved tomorrow, the the psychological impacts, the confidence impacts on the economy would be just would be you, we would spend eighty months in recession. You know, if every household decided the, the house was with a a whole lot of people would be in negative equity. They'd stop spending. They'd worry, the banks probably will start calling some of those Like the the, the sheer, you know, the, the the side effects of that. I don't know if the side effects, just the direct effects, right? The just the sheer impact of that would be would be just catastrophic for the Australian economy. So I think it's worth thinking about. Um, I don't think there's a grand conspiracy to protect homeowners like it's some sort of there's some sort of special class. I don't know if they're more likely to vote for one party or the other, but I'm pretty sure the same approach would be taken by most sides of politics and most regulators. It's just considered, and maybe even wrongly, but considered a wealth effect issue that if all of a sudden housing or, or any asset class, but housing because we all own them is suddenly worth less, the impact of that on the economy would be would be super, super meaningful. So are we protecting those already in debt? Yes, by definition. I, I'm pretty sure though, being being just really honest and without, you know, without mucking around about it, um, it's designed to protect the the behavioral psychology of everyone in the economy, um, and in doing so, that keeps house prices high. Do you have anything else on that, Doc?
1: Well, I'll, uh, I was going to say that this is a classic, um, I want to defer the kick the can as far down the road as I can. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is, again, what I call classic problem with human behavior and policy, and I've seen a lot of this, is, again, this local optimization. I'm going to optimize today at the cost of long-term optimization, yeah, that's fair. And uh, yeah, and 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 the cost for that could be, possibly, be very large at some point in time, yep. right? Um, oh, I, I think. See, I, yeah. I, I think here's the thing, right? I think making there's no reason why housing should be so expensive, mm-hmm. yet it is, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. policy and 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 policies in place are all about trying to keep something that shouldn't be that high, Mm. right? Whether it's by constraining supply of new build, Mm. by, you know, making debt as cheap as possible, right? You're basically keeping housing price high. Now, I've heard arguments that, you know, hey, you know, it should be priced like this, but it also means that you're keeping a bunch of people outside housing, right? Correct. And and as a homeowner, you know, I just feel that this is just, you know, housing should be something that you, everyone should be able to afford a good house. Right. It should not be a, you know, and, and I agree the, the other way I think about this is if everybody in a country is a millionaire because they own a house, some, <laughs> yeah, there is a problem. Right. There's a that's huge right. problem right. because you don't have to be, a, you don't have to work hard to be a millionaire. That's you right. just need to buy a house somehow. And yeah. then you're a millionaire, right? Yeah. That's fundamentally just wrong.
0: I think that's, I mean, I'm I'm so, say so I think, again, I, I think
1: the issue here in my mind yeah. is, it's again, this classic, this is like the Australian company yeah. building a balance sheet, yeah. which is dead. <laughs> which yes. when it busts yeah. it's going to be a big problem. Again, I don't know, but you know, a lot of companies have problems because they, you know, they were building this fantastic thing mm. but with a hollow base. This is again this classic problem of thinking short of, oh, today this is going to happen. I think what we needed to do is to and make it easier and easier for people to have affordable mm-hmm. housing, but we don't. Mm. Right, all we're all they are interested in is the house price. Everybody is very happy. All the financial comment commentators dare I say that they are very short-sighted. They are all happy because the house prices are going up. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to celebrate that house prices are going up. It's a problem for those people who don't have houses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It just means that people are going to have more and more and more and more debt, mm-hmm. right? That's just not good. It can't be good for you.
0: I think. Look, I, so I agree. I'm going to say a couple of things just for the sake of the conversation. I think the first thing I'd say is I don't mind. I don't think there's anything wrong with millionaire, uh, being a millionaire because you own a house in the sense that we have this, you know, we're going to remember inflation, right, and just the general cost of living and, and that kind of stuff. 50 years ago, being a millionaire was simply more something, more impressive, harder to get to, whatever, um, even if you did it through saving or working, right, just that the, the average wage goes up. So at some point, we need we, do, we need to be careful not to fixate on a single number as a measure of wealth or otherwise in 500 years' time, everyone will be a millionaire just because price will increase by that much. So I think to some degree, we just need to be a little bit careful. I mean, if you're in... Well, not anymore. In Italian lira, you're a millionaire if you owned a car, right? Because the, the, the way the way the maths work. So I think we need to be a little bit careful that we don't hold out millionaire or something. that should be unattainable, or should be only attainable through X, Y, and Z. Because the average costs of living. I mean, look at the the BRW rich list, right? You, I think I think when it first started, you had to have 100 million dollars to be on that list. Now, now you've you know, you know you won't even make it on the list with 100 million dollars. Uh, sorry to be top of list. I mean, um, you know, just because inflation happens and and prices rise and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with. Homeowners being millionaires by owning homes per se, because there's nothing that should be unremarkable about being a millionaire unless inflation is zero. In which case, as you say, Doc, that would be that. Would inflation be is zero. Uh yeah, but not. I'm talking about like over the long term, right? Like we were kids going from millionaire when you were a kid to millionaire yeah, now. But, it's a very but,
1: but inflation has got moved nowhere, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? Inflation is going nowhere, yet house prices go up.
0: Sure. So, don't get so, so on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm so not saying that. I'm so not yeah, arguing yeah, that. But I'm, I'm just correcting that. Bit. No, no, I'm just, making just, just making a point
1: here that there is again. You're defending house prices going up. I'm no, just no, no, not, no, 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 right? am I'm not. I'm just I'm saying not. that in over the long term, <laughs> we are disenfranchising a bunch of people. <laughs> I agree. And and I think that is just fundamentally incorrect and wrong.
0: Okay, but let me be clear. I'm not. I'm not just with rising house prices. What I was What I was talking about was your point about being a house and being millionaire is somehow a problem in itself.
1: Well, it's a problem because it's a problem in in totality today. Right? Sure. Whether that number million is correct or wrong, right, I mean, as point. I said, you can have a house for three hundred thousand dollars an acre or a correct. huge acreage in Detroit. Correct. Right. Correct. It's fundamentally there should be no reason to believe that you know we are fundamentally very different from Detroit. As an example,
0: sure. Um, and that's, that's why I'm not too agree with that. I'm just making the point that just you know whether whether a house is worth a million dollars or not is an arbitrary number that should be more related to wages and, and other things rather than an absolute number. If we if house, if wages tomorrow would double, it should make sense that house prices would be higher because of, on a standard of living basis. That's part of the reason. Yeah, that, and, you know.
1: and wages are not going up. just sure. To, sure. Yeah, exactly, is that's a right. point. Right? Well, but, 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 yeah. So fundamentally, we're just making it harder and harder for people Yeah, I agree with that. Right, right to actually have a house.
0: I agree. Right? But we're talking about different things. I'm talking about the no, fact that I'm just about the being, being a millionaire and owning a house is only relative to the currency, the wage and all that kind of stuff. There's, not, there's nothing arbitrary about it. houses should never cost a million dollars because of X. It's it's you know at what point how much what are they worth relative to the wages of the, or the prices of the economy that's the, that must be the problem it's always going to be a relative question
1: yeah but my, my statement was relative to how it is today okay. and therefore it's a problem in my view today <laughs>
0: right fair enough the other the other point I'll make on, on housing is I think it's one of those things where we actually agree on the on the the access to the market I think what's missing and you've you've alluded to this is the long term thinking right and kicking the can down the road I think there's it's very reasonable for uh, there's two ways of solving the problem, right? And I think to create an economic problem to fix housing overnight would be would be crazy. But as you say, there's a lack of a long-term perspective to make sure housing is or remains or becomes more affordable. And I think those two things can be both true. It's a question of how quickly we get there and what damage do we do to get there in the meantime. And I think that's the... If I, have, if I have a criticism, I'm more sanguine about the short-term issue because avoiding recessions or longer-term downturns by propping up prices is probably smart in the short-term. And as you say, if all, if all life is a collection of short-terms, we never solve the problem. That's what kicking the can down the road is. I think some things like, for example, removing capital gains tax or addressing capital gains tax, looking at negative gear and looking at the, how we treat residential property versus other properties, those are issues that we could put in place, strategies now, which don't impact house prices yet but over time have the potential to make them more affordable relative to wages. I think that's the bit that we're missing the opportunity for is not, you know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that without, if house price had crashed along with the rest of the COVID recession, we'd still be in a recession now to go longer unemployment, would be 15%. But over time, we need to find a way to engineer those outcomes without causing undue pain to so end up with a better economic balance.
1: Yeah, no, I don't disagree with anything, uh, anything like that. All I'll say is that the house housing looks like many of these large mid cap companies. <laughs> <on it. laughs> oh, uh, these, are, these are blue chip companies, which are not blue chip. When you just when the first sign of trouble hits, you realize they're not blue chip. So, so that's my view, uh, and I'd be extremely careful of these things. Again, I, you know, I don't I don't wish people uh, all of a sudden feel that they're thirty I like percent it. poor. I like it. But um, you know. Uh, uh, you also don't wish that your, you know, the housing market goes into uh, an <laughs> right. well, so exactly. equity raise at some yeah. point. That is really painful. So, <laughs> that's not nice,
0: an nice analogy. I, I, I
1: think I have discovered over time that the comment, commentators on various <laughs> media um, are extremely short-sighted, <laughs> are best ignored, because they just don't, can't think beyond the next... Quarter, yeah, right, yeah. and and their ability to think beyond the next quarter mm. is, is just you know oh this is great because blah, you know it's just <laughs> amazing because again you, you know yeah. you don't want to think about the yeah. long term because hey if I can solve the problem now that's great
0: yeah. yeah I think that's right and that's I think that's the hardest part for uh, <laughs> it kind of takes full circle which is a nice way to finish off so part, part of the reason, you know the commentators aren't thinking about it. the other thing is we don't have the. As a society, maybe we never did. Maybe it's all rose-colored glasses. But the the time and attention we actually think through some of these longer-term issues, right? We want to read about the the right nows, the the here and nows, the, the you know the urgent versus the important. The longer, thoughtful discussion pieces in whatever commentary formats in whatever media formats that start to talk about, hey, here are some of the longer-term issues, rather than you know today's house price numbers. And I think that's. Plenty of economists and, and market companies want monthly data for everything, right? They want GDP monthly. They want unemployment weekly. And somehow that more data is going gonna, to you know, solve the problem. And I think it's like, you know what? We really don't need to be thinking about, you know, I don't want a daily unemployment number. What I want is a long-term employment policy. I don't want daily house price data. What I want is long-term affordable housing policy. And I think those are the things that economically, government, regulator, commentator, and frankly, you know what? Really honestly, general public, because if we cared, they'd do it. Um, there is there a real... And, and frankly as investors right I mean that's <laughs> that's that's why you know those of us listening to this podcast are, are investors and most people aren't going to bother they're listening to some other podcasts which I'm sure is wonderful uh, but they're not putting the time into the stuff that really is going to make a long term difference for themselves and for their own wealth
1: I'm not going to say anything further because we don't want to continue on this you know we can move on to the next question this is a long question unfortunately we can't oh is this the end of we're your- done
0: we're done so before you go though because you know we've put a lot of time into this podcast do us a favour return the favour and go and join Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities you can find a special link just for our podcast listeners at fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast go and join Doc and Kevin at Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities and find some of the companies that your fellow fools have asked about Certainly, we've had a few questions today, which was nice and coincidental, but nice. Uh, for people who are members of both services, but this time, go and join EO, Motley Fool Extreme Opportunity. You can join SA next week. But for now, go to fool.com.au, EO podcast. Come and join our merry band of fools and find some of the stocks that Doc and Kevin are looking for to really make a difference to your financial futures. At least that's, that's at the aim of the guys. And certainly, thus far, doing a very, very good job of beating the market with their recommendations. Mate, as I said, that is it. Before we go, don't forget you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app, or the good people at Podcast One. We're part of the Podcast One family. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a rating. Five stars would be wonderful. Six if you can manage it, but take good luck because I don't think they'll give you that option on iTunes. And of course, do tell your friends. We're sure they could use a little foolish straight talk too. And don't forget, you can get a dose of Foolish straight to your inbox and a little bit of marketing from us by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on Friday with another dose of Foolish Insight. Full Fool on. Full on.